It was almost real. The Pro Wrestling History Podcast, episode 31. Hello and welcome to this episode of It Was Almost Real, the Pro Wrestling History Podcast. My name is Ken Zimmerman Jr. and this is the podcast dedicated to history of professional wrestling between 1870 and 1920, although sometimes we stretch into the 1930s. And joining me this week in studio is Dangerous Dan and Caleb the Crippler. Oh, is that my new name? (laughs) (laughs) And in this episode, we'll be discussing the wrestling schedule of Evan Strangler Lewis during 1886 and we're going to compare that to in the next episode to Ed Strangler Lewis's schedule in 1912 but first this episode is actually being released on September 11 2001 or 2001 2023 <laughs> we're jumping back in time 22 years today folks uh. And I was just asking Dan, I don't expect Caleb to remember where he was at because he was two, but I was uh, asking Dan if he remembered, and I was actually at work. I was the uh, deputy operations officer. I was responsible for the day-to-day operations for the patrol and investigations function at a campus security department. And one of my sergeants came in and said, hey, they just said on the radio that a plane hit the World Trade Center. And to show you where our mind was at initially, we were like, what kind of idiot ran into the World Trade Center? You can't see that? Right. So we went in and we turned on the TV to see what was going on. And as we're watching, they got the footage. I can't remember if it was either the fire department, because there was two different sets of footage of the planes going into the building. Mm -hmm. And one was like a utility crew that was down on the ground working. Whichever one it was... We saw the second plane go in, and this is the second plane go in. We heard it accelerate, and then we knew this is a terror attack. Yeah, and exactly. So we sat there, and we watched the TV for a while, and probably 15 to 20 minutes into the coverage, the first tower came down. Mm-hmm. And I remember it because we just saw this dust and smoke, and I was like, what is that? And yeah. then one of the other sergeants, one of my sergeants said, the first tower just collapsed. And one of my officers, who later became a supervisor, looked over at me and said, you know, all the first responders on the ground are dead. Oh, yeah. And it was it was just surreal. I'll never forget where I was at yeah. when that happened. Well, like I said, I remember I was still asleep when it, atta- uh, when it happened, and uh, we had relatives visiting, and uh, my mom woke me up and said, you gotta, you got to turn on the TV. And that's what I did, and... I remember seeing the footage of the first plane hitting the towers. And when the second plane hit, I thought it was a replay of just the first plane. But then they said, no, it was another plane. And I'm just like, what in the world is going on? Right. You know, and, but, uh, you know, and this wasn't the first time the World Trade Center had been attacked. Uh, earlier they, yeah, had, they had, had tried that bomb. to set a bomb yeah. in the basement. Thank God that failed. Yeah. So, but I mean, I, I, I think we were probably lulled into a false sense of security back then, mm-hmm. um, and I just don't think it's anything that we should ever forget. I don't think we should live in fear. Well, it was the first attack on U.S. soil since when? I think okay. the attack on Pearl Harbor. Well, um, that, yeah, because it was well. No, I, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. Uh, there was a Puerto Rican uh, national group that attacked Congress during Truman's. Presidency. Oh, okay, yeah. So, so it was, but it was probably the first since that. Yeah. So late forties, early fifties. Yep. Gosh. And so I just didn't want to end with that note during the update. Yeah. So we also need to talk about a groundbreaking wrestler recently passed uh, mm-hmm. in July. We're recording this in August, but adorable Adrian Street who was a wrestler from Wales, recently passed away. Mm -hmm. And he, to me, I think is the first gimmick that I can remember. Um, He played an effeminate character, Mm -hmm. but he was ambiguous. He wasn't playing a gay character. He wanted you to wonder whether he was gay or straight or in between by... Mr. Humphreys. 
Yeah, he was really yes. He was yeah. play, mm-hmm. he was an ambiguous character. He was really trying to make you guess because uh, his girlfriend wife was his valet. Mm-hmm. What was that, Miss Nancy? Miss Linda. Miss Linda. That's it. Yeah. But I <laughs> I remember seeing him and I was like, who is this guy? <laughs> but you watched him. He actually was a heck of a wrestler. He was really good. Yes. And and you talk or you hear you don't talk to him, but you listen to Jim Cornette talk about him, who managed him in eighty one, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And he could stretch almost everybody in the locker room. So I read all seven books of his autobiography a couple years ago, mm-hmm. and I recommend them. His wrestling, he doesn't start talking about his wrestling career, though, until book two. Oh. But I still think it's well worth the read. Mm-hmm. Um, but he learned sh- to shoot from one of the guys uh, that he wrestled with back in uh, Wales. And he could actually stretch almost everybody mm-hmm. in the locker room. But one of the things he would do, I saw him do this in Mid-South. He kissed Terry Taylor, oh, God. who you know, was wiping his mouth <laughs> yeah. and everything and rolls him up for a pin and wins the TV title. But he didn't know, being from England, he didn't know about the history of the segregation and everything in the South. Mm. So when he was wrestling in Memphis, he jumped it up in the arms of this uh, job guy who was putting him over and gave him a big kiss. You know, the, the guy starts wiping his mouth and everything, and he rolls him up and pins him. Yeah. Well, the job guy was African-American. And... He did not, Adrian Street did not realize at the time, but that that was the first interracial kiss between men <laughs> ever seen on Memphis television in 1981. Wow. And as you can imagine, there were quite a few calls into the studio <laughs> complaining about that. Now, had Adrian known, I thoroughly believe he would have done it anyway. Yeah. Because he, he was uh, he not was one to shy away from, you mm-hmm. know, breaking barriers and all that kind of stuff. But my favorite uh, Adrian Street story, I heard him tell it in interviews and I read about it in his book. Mm-hmm. So there was this real piece of human garbage named Jimmy Savile, who was a comedian in England. Mm-hmm. He had also done some boxing and he was a wrestler. He had wrestled close to 100 matches. Mm-hmm. And this guy sexually abused and sexually assaulted children, women, and men, all defenseless people who could not defend themselves against him. Yeah. Uh, just a horrible human being. They did not know that about him at the time. Adrian said they knew he had a propensity for young girls because he bragged about it, but they didn't. Say, they, they said we didn't mm. think it was that young. Yeah. You know, we thought 18, 19, 20. We weren't thinking college children. years. Yeah. And so they put Adrian in a match with Jimmy Savile. And Jimmy Savile was a comedian, and Adrian thought him being in wrestling was a joke. Mm-hmm. And he t- warned them, do not put him in the ring with me. Because if you put him in the ring with me, I'm not retracting my claws for anybody, and I'm going to do him up because I think he's a joke. Yeah. And they were like, no, Adrian, you're taking this too. He goes, I'm telling you, don't. But, you know, they thought Adrian would fall in line. They booked a match, and he beat the hell out of Jimmy Savile. <laughs> Kicked him flat in the face with a soccer kick. Yeah. Beat the hell out of him. And everybody at the time was down on Adrian and yeah. said that that was ridiculous. You didn't have to go that far. Then when it came out years later what he was doing, they're like, You should have killed the guy. You didn't beat him up badly. <laughs> and Adrian said, Had I known what he was doing at the time, because Adrian had three young kids, he mm. goes, I would have beat him up worse than I did if such a thing is possible. Because yeah. he, he beat him up so bad, Jimmy Saffold never got in the wrestling ring again after that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so couldn't happen to a nicer guy. Too bad more people didn't do that to the guy. Right. So let's kind of jump into the main content this week. And I got this idea when your uncle and I were talking about ideas for the podcast. I started thinking about wrestling schedules and how different they were from the 19th century to the 20th century. Uh-huh. Part of it was transportation related. Yeah. Okay. So you only had trains and stagecoaches in the 1880s mm-hmm. to get you places. Um, or horse-drawn carriages or whatever. But, but you know, yeah. it's either pulled by a horse, because even the uh, streetcars in major cities were pulled by horses. Then. Yeah. yeah. Or it's a train. Mm-hmm. And steam-powered train. Well, I, I left out one. You could take a boat if you lived close to a waterway. So if you were based in St. Louis and you were going to wrestle in New Orleans, you could take a boat to New Orleans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
But for the most part, you're talking trains and carriages, mm-hmm. stagecoaches, some kind of something pulled by a horse. Yeah. By the teens, you're having a nascent automobile industry, and a lot of the wrestlers adapted mm-hmm. to that pretty quick. You've got a much more developed train system than you had in the 1880s. Trains went most everywhere, whereas mm-hmm. 1880s, trains went to the major cities. Mm-hmm. And you were starting to get a, a developed promotional system. Yeah. So there was a lot more opportunity. in the professional wrestling as a spectator sport really gets its start in the very late 1860s, early 1870s, but the mm-hmm. matches are very sporadic. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of the professional wrestling was done at the athletic shows or the mm-hmm. carnivals. Yeah, Catch wrestling is a carnival style of wrestling because the organizers of carnivals didn't like to give their money away. Yeah. So if these guys took on a really good local amateur, that amateur might be better than them at freestyle wrestling, you know, taking you down and mm-hmm. stuff. But they didn't know how to hook because hooks were not legal. So they'd crank on a submission hold, double arm wrist lock or something like that, yeah. and hurt the guy and make him quit. And you know, keep them from having to pay out to anybody. Yeah. And I tell you what, a double arm wrist lock like that will break. You. Oh yeah, that'll that'll break bones. It's uh, they call it the Kimura in MMA. You've probably seen that. Yeah. Udi Garami when we were doing judo. Mm-hmm. So, um, there's a lot less opportunity because it's just getting started as a spectator sport. As a matter of fact. In the 1880s, Greco-Roman is still the dominant style, but mm-hmm. catch wrestling is starting to catch up and will surpass it. By the 1890s, Greco-Roman is sort of a fringe, novelty-type style. Yeah. Catch wrestling is what everybody is, is doing, and that's the carnival style with the hooks and submissions. So I went and I looked at Evan uh, Lewis, Evan Strangler Lewis, the original Strangler, mm-hmm. and he was called that because he used... A chokehold, but it was not the lion killer or um, the rear naked choke mm-hmm. or the uh, oh my judo hadakajimi. Hadakajimi? I think so. That doesn't sound right for some reason, but anyway. <laughs> we'll figure it out later. Yeah, a judo chokehold. Yes. <laughs> there we go. A judo choke. They're all the exact same choke. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so. He used actually what they called the, now it's called in MMA, the guillotine choke. Wrestling, mm-hmm. it's a front face lock. <clears throat> and that's that front strangle they use. And that's how he got his nickname. And a lot of times though, that stranglehold got banned. <laughs> yeah. Because um, it was kind of controversial, particularly uh, we're going to talk about because Lewis's first two matches in 86 are with Sorokichi Matsuda. But I wanted to look at Lewis's because in 1886, Lewis is not the American heavyweight champion yet, but he is a top contender for that title. And so he's building up his reputation mm-hmm. and preparing for a match with the champion, who the champion at the time was an uh, English wrestler named Joe Acton, yeah. the little demon. He was a small guy, but man, you didn't want to mess with that guy. He would stretch you. He was small but wiry. And yeah knew all the hooks Mm -hmm. would hurt you William Muldoon so Joe Acton is 5 foot 4 and he's about 150 pounds soaking wet with rocks in his pockets yeah William Muldoon do what? so so the wind didn't blow him away yeah (laughs) (laughs) William Muldoon is 6 foot 6 foot Mm 1 220 pounds in shape Mm -hmm. his weight fluctuates between 205 and 220 Mm-hmm. Sometimes he's training more on pasta than weights, but mo- for the <laughs> most part, he he's in uh, and he's a colossus. Mm-hmm. He will not wrestle Acton unless it's a straight Greco-Roman wrestling match. He won't take his chances with Acton because he's afraid Acton will hook him. Yeah. Ah. So think of the size disparity. That's like yeah. the heavyweight champion telling mm-hmm. the bantamweight champion, "I'm not wrestling you. <laughs> I don't want yeah. you to catch me with a submission." Right. Exactly. So. Um, but Lewis is in Acton's uh, class, and Lewis is five foot nine, one hundred and eighty pounds, mm-hmm. which is big for a heavyweight. Muldoon is very unusual for his size. Mm-hmm. Most people are smaller than that mm-hmm. that are pro wrestling at the time. And so Lewis started the year of eighteen eighty six with a pair of matches in Chicago. 
And these matches kind of made him. He had a lot of huge matches in Chicago mm-hmm. because of these two matches built his reputation at a time when most pro wrestling matches were drawing hundreds of fans. Yeah, these matches drew thousands of fans. He he averaged between three and five thousand fans in his Chicago matches, which yeah. was unheard. And I guess that's time. because it was the second largest city. Yeah, time in the United well, States. Well, it wasn't second largest, so. 1880, it was the fourth largest city. I can't remember oh. which one was bigger. New York is bigger. Yeah. Philadelphia, I believe, is bigger. Oh, Philadelphia. I, did, I didn't know Philadelphia ever got that big. Okay. Yeah, I think Philadelphia was bigger. Um, I don't, I'm not sure Boston was... But there was a... And it's an odd one. Mm-hmm. It was like a Cleveland or something that was there oh. in that top four uh-huh. for like a decade and then never gets back there again. I spent a week of my life one night in Cleveland. <laughs> That's how bad it is <laughs> now. <laughs> but Chicago was the fourth largest city, so it was oh, because okay. it knocked St. Louis out of being the fourth largest. Okay. Well, I, I remember at one time it was the second, and then when Los oh, Angeles yeah. came in, I thought it was the third, but I guess it, maybe... It, I think it is the third now. The I third think it's now, okay. New York, L.A., Chicago. Chicago, okay. But yeah, Chicago was number two for a long think time. They could Do you know St. Louis was the largest town west of the Mississippi till the 1950s. L.A. didn't surpass it mm-hmm. until the 1950s. Oh, wow. You know, and you're thinking with being the third largest uh, city in America, they'd get a better sports team than the Chicago Bears. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no offense to any Bears fans, but... But we do we do mean offense. <laughs> right. As, as well as offense to the Cubs. Right. <laughs> so... Uh, but other than that, we love you, Chicago. <laughs> so on January 28th, Lewis wrestles Matsuda at the Central Music Hall, which was a venue that they would use as a wrestling place. So back in the 1880s, they normally didn't wrestle in rings. Mm. They would they would go to auditoriums, music halls, places like that, opera houses. Mm-hmm. They uh, Manhattan Opera House was the scene of a lot of wrestling yeah. because they would put mats up on the stage and mm-hmm. then the, the fans could see it because it was up higher than they were. Yeah. yeah. And so that's how it was set up a lot of times. And I believe that's the same setup for this mm-hmm. as well. And uh, Lewis won this match with the uh, stranglehold. And actuality, um, Matsuda won the first fall by DQ because they were wrestling by the edge mm-hmm. and because they're up on a stage. Matsuda actually accidentally knocked Lewis off of the stage onto the table that was right set up next to the stage mm-hmm. and made Lewis mad. <laughs> so it was the first table match ever. In- <laughs> yeah. Well, he didn't break it. Okay. Yeah, he wasn't mad at the, the table. He gets yeah. back in and Matsuda apologizes, helps him back up mm-hmm. onto the stage. And Lewis shakes his hand and you think everything's okay, but Lewis doesn't let stuff go. <laughs> as soon as they get near the floodlights again, Lewis chucks him off the stage onto the table. Well, now the referee knows this was on purpose. Yeah. And he DQs Lewis. Further irritating Lewis. And you don't want Lewis mad because Lewis had some of the nastiest mean streak of any wrestler that's ever lived. Are you saying and he had anger management issues? Yes. And, <laughs> and he would hurt people. So Lewis's anger management was so bad. He was in a match in Buffalo with a guy who was on the police department. He was the police wrestling champion. Mm -hmm. I think his name was Dennis Gallagher. His last name was definitely Gallagher. Okay. The stranglehold had been banned by the Buffalo mayor. This was the the Buffalo uh, police wrestling champion Gallagher was. The mayor and a bunch of the city officials are sitting, and they had banned the stranglehold, which always made Lewis hot. Mm Mm-hmm. So when Lewis gets Gallagher down on the mat, he takes the point of his elbow and sticks it in front of his throat okay. and starts <laughs> cutting off his windpipe in his air. So Gallagher's... And the mayor starts yelling, he's strangling him, he's strangling him. Well, the police captain hears the mayor yelling. It's like, ah. So he tells his guys, go break that up. Six Buffalo police officers end up climbing into the ring because the first two go in there and they're like, let him up. And Lewis holds it on and just looking at him. Yeah. So two more come in. They're like, you need to let him up now. Mm. And Lewis is just looking at him. So finally, six of them get in the ring. Lewis lets him go and stands up and looks at the six police officers. Yeah. And he's going to go with the six police officers until they went, 
pulled the billy clubs out. And when he saw him pull the billy clubs out, he kind of sneered at him, mm. backed off of the mat, and then walked back to the dressing room. <laughs> he stared down six Buffalo police yeah. officers. He was going to fight him until they pulled the billy clubs out. And I guess he said, hmm, six billy clubs. I don't know that I could handle that. Yeah. So, yeah, he had a nasty temper. So he chucks him off. He's mad because he got DQ'd. So they start the next fall. Within two minutes, he has the stranglehold on him, and he is squeezing for all he's worth. They said Matsuda's face went from pale to kind of ashen, mm-hmm. and he's tapping wildly, uh-huh. and Lewis is not letting go. Oh. The referee, who is like a heavyweight boxing champion in Illinois, has to pull Lewis off of Matsuda. <laughs> they carry mm-hmm. Matsuda to the back. The people are booing the referee because he awards the fall to Lewis. But he said the stranglehold is a legal hold mm-hmm. according to the rules of wrestling. Yeah. And well, is that considered submission? A submission yes. hold? Okay. Yes. And he said this is a legal hold. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the fans still booed, but Matsuda comes back out and goes, oh, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> I can't continue. So for whatever reason, after this, because Lewis wins the match by forfeit because he drops out. Yeah. They book a second, a return, because everybody's Mm. mad at Lewis and wants to see Matsuda. Matsuda becomes a fan favorite after this. Their careers take totally different trajectories after these two matches. Uh Lewis becomes one of the most hated villains of all time. He gets booed out of most every place he goes, particularly Mm. Chicago. Mm -hmm. And Matsuda becomes a fan favorite that people cheer for. Mm. And he was a foreign wrestler, the first Japanese wrestler to come to the United States. Normally, the fans did not take to foreign wrestlers, but right. they took to Matsuda. He becomes a fan favorite. Yeah. Whatever reason, they go, yeah, we're going to rebook this match. So they put the match on again. Although this time, the Chicago mayor says, after this inhumane displayer, words to that effect, mm. the stranglehold is now banned. Well, you know what's that going to do? Yeah. Make Lewis mad. mad. So they have a pre-meeting before this match, and Lewis basically calls Matsuda a coward for having the stranglehold banned. He goes, I don't know the mayor. I didn't have anything bad, banned. Mm. And he goes, well, that's all right. I'm going to twist your foot this time. And Matsuda said, you twist my foot, I'll twist your foot. Oh, famous last word. <laughs> so no sooner does this match start, Lewis dumps him face first on the mat, snatches his ankle, and starts... I don't know if... I think he got the toes underneath his armpit. He did something because they heard a loud snap. And he was trying to snap his ankle. He actually didn't snap anything. But he stretched the tendons so bad that Matsuda couldn't wrestle for a couple months after that. He had a couple work matches like four or five weeks after that. Mm -hmm. He didn't have his first competitive match for like two two or three months Mm -hmm. after that. Yeah. So we are now in February. Lewis has had two matches. Yeah. He wrestles an exhibition with Matsuda's second, Edwin Bibby, who Matsuda also wrestled several work matches when he was uh-huh. recovering from the ankle injury in uh, late March, early April. Mm-hmm. But these were just demonstrations. They weren't actual matches, and they didn't bill them as actual matches. Oh, okay. So on March 8th, now those two matches, the, all, I'm sorry, all three of these things were in Chicago. Two matches in the exhibition. Mm-hmm. In March, on March 8th, Lewis wrestles Charles Moth in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Charles Moth was a lighter weight wrestler who was based out of Minneapolis, Minnesota. And they wrestled a mixed styles match because Moth was a specialist in something. Collar and elbow, one of the other styles that was mm-hmm. popular in the 1800s. And Lewis beats him and straight falls pretty easily. In mid-March, Lewis travels to St. Louis, Missouri, the Pope Theater, to wrestle a work match with Edwin Bibby. Oh. <laughs> Let yeah. me guess how that w- ended. He won <laughs> yeah. after they conned the mugs. They traded falls. And oh, okay. And I'm sure made big money off of the betting. Uh-huh. Lewis didn't wrestle in April. Mm-hmm. So by March, he's had three matches a worked uh, match, and an exhibition. On May 28, 1886, Lewis wrestles William Muldoon, that heavyweight world heavyweight champion I was talking about, in a Greco-Roman wrestling match. All, this one is now in Minneapolis. So he's been in Chicago twice, 
Milwaukee wants, now he's in Minneapolis. He's staying in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Easier to get around. I'm sure there's good train service between all of those towns. Oh, yeah. Sure there is, yeah. And then um, Muldoon agrees to throw Lewis three times within 60 minutes because Lewis is a catch wrestling specialist. Mm-hmm. Muldoon's a Greco-Roman wrestling specialist. Muldoon pins him after about 40 minutes and then says, well, I can't pin him two more times, so this is off and walks off. Yeah. And wow. Yeah, and they made fun of him for doing so. So at the end of June, he wrestles Lewis in a Greco-Roman wrestling match in Chicago, Illinois. Yeah. And Lewis wins the first fall. Muldoon wins the second fall. And then Muldoon says, I'm too tired. I can't come back out. And he leaves. Now, this is what I find. Yeah, another chump champ. Yep. Well, this is what I find shocking about it. And he never would wrestle Lewis catch wrestling either. Mm Mm-hmm. And I know at this point in time in 1886, Muldoon was doing a lot of touring with the vaudeville circuit, Mm -hmm. and he was out of shape. Oh, This is a time when he was pretty fleshy. Mm -hmm. Normally, in that time, forfeiting the match like that, the world title would have went to Lewis. Yeah. But it did not. This is not a recognized uh, title win. It's not a title switch. I'm not sure if... They agreed that it was a non-title bout before the match. Mm. I don't know what happened because under normal circumstances, that should have been a world title change, but it was not. Right. After that, uh, Muldoon decides, you know what, I ain't messing with this guy anymore and doesn't wrestle him again until I think like 1889. Wow. So now we've been Chicago, Milwaukee, Minneapolis, back to Chicago. Let's go back to... Oh, no, we don't go to Milwaukee yet. We go to Cincinnati, Cincinnati, Ohio. On August 26th... Was that oh, punishment no, 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 no. for him throwing the matches? He had to go down to Cincinnati? No, he didn't throw... No them. offense, Cincinnati. Right, he, <laughs> didn't, he, didn't throw any, he didn't throw any matches. Well, they got the Reds. We're losing half of our goddamn viewers at this point. <laughs> we don't mean to insult the enemies of the Cardinals or anything like that. Or Cincinnati as a whole. We do like the Bengals. Let's say, yeah, (laughs) Joe Burrow. Right. (laughs) uh, Jamar Chase, best uh, receiver going. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yep, Cincinnati. And and, and we'll say something nice about Cincinnati. They got a great waterfront. Yeah, they do. do. And they got good chili, too. Yeah. Yeah, they're just bad tasting baseball (laughs) teams. And and your owner in the 80s sucked. Oh, yeah. uh Uh-huh. Oh, Margie. Uh, anyway, back to this. And Shotzi. Yeah. <laughs> we hit, we paused for this station identification, and now we're back to the main <laughs> show. So on July 15th, 1886, Kayla probably has no idea what we were just talking about there. Tax money assistant. Back in the old day of the broadcast, they'd yeah. stop for station identification. they go, KDNL, Channel 30. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. So on July 15th, 1886... Lewis wrestled Tom Cannon in Cincinnati, Ohio. Cannon won the match. Okay. Now, he's a huge dude. Yeah. Cannon's a big guy. Probably, he's probably just a little smaller than Muldoon. Mm-hmm. And I think he surprised Lewis because I think Lewis thought he was going to go through him pretty quick. Uh-huh. And he didn't. So, they have a rematch in Cincinnati on August 26, 1886. Can anybody guess what happened? I'm going to say um, Ed got disqualified. Nope. Nope. Evan strangled a Machamers <laughs> out of cannon and he couldn't continue. <laughs> Make Lewis mad, you're going to get choked. Yep. <laughs> and the, the stranglehold was actually legal for this oh, match. Okay. So it didn't cost him the match, but Cannon had to, uh, I think the newspaper reporters at the time said, Lewis almost strangled Cannon to death. Oh, man. So it was another one of the treatments that he had given Matsuda. Yeah. Although, you know, the fans were never really that sympathetic to Cannon. But I have a, a theory about that. Uh-huh. Matsuda was smaller. He yeah. was kind of thick. Yeah. Uh, at one time, he got up to 180 pounds, and he did some strongman feats uh-huh. where he beat guys who were in their 260-pounders. Two, oh, wow. But he was only 5'5". Five, five, and when he first got here, he was about 165 pounds, which is about what he would have been at when he took on Lewis. Mm-hmm. That's only four inches shorter than Lewis, and that, but he was smaller than Lewis. Okay. Whereas Cannon is much bigger than Lewis. Yeah. So they're like, look at this big schlub. Lewis just choked him to death. Yeah. 
So no sympathy for him. Okay. And then on August 30th, 1886, Lewis is back in Milwaukee where he defeats the lightly regarded Harry Hotelin. Mm. And that's it for Evan Strangler Lewis in 1886. <laughs> he goes back to Madison, Wisconsin, and he waits as his manager, Charles Parson Davies, tries to set up the American title match with Joe Acton, which they would do in April 1887. Okay. Fun fact for this episode, I think those matches will work. Well, I have never uh, got a chance to peruse those matches, um, but it sounds like uh, it, they could have been, yeah. So, Lewis also wrestled all his matches in the Midwest, which we talked about before. Mm -hmm. And probably a lot of that had to do with travel. And next month, now, our next, the next episode is going to come out September 25th. And I was going to tell you guys, we might have to wait two weeks to record the next episode. That's fine. Because I'm going to have to do some research. I think this is going to take me a lot longer oh, okay. than it took me to look at Evan Lewis's 1886. Okay. Lewis wrestled nine matches in an exhibition. Mm. And 1886, uh -huh. Ed Strangler Lewis will probably do that in a month in 1912. Gotcha. So, for the review this week, we're actually not going that far back in time this time. Um, and for the next episode, we will review that 350 days. It's a little over an hour. It's a documentary. Mm. It's about an hour, hour and a half. But we'll all have time to watch that by then. Mm. And uh, it's just about the schedule that the wrestlers used to work in the 70s and 80s during the territory era. Okay. And then, um, so for this week, we looked at two matches, and I decided to do these reviews because this is someone who uh, was the biggest heel in wrestling for me when I started watching wrestling in St. Louis. So, you ever watched, I'm sure you guys haven't, but I was a political science major, so I watched it many times. You ever watched C-SPAN? Not on a regular basis, no. Yeah. If so I fell asleep with it on the TV, it's about when yeah, I watched Yeah, that's what I figured. <laughs> that's, that's most people. So, C-SPAN used to shoot things from the House of Representatives, mm -hmm. and C-SPAN 2 would shoot the Senate. And okay. being a political science major, I used to watch it every once in a while. Mm -hmm. The really fun ones are the ones that they would do from England in the House of Commons. That's oh, yeah. like, that's high oh. comedy there. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, anytime these guys will get up and make a speech on the House floor or the Senate floor, mm -hmm. they always start with the same thing. I would like permission to extend and revise my remarks. Ah. And it's always granted. And what that means is they can now change whatever they've said in the official record. Mm -hmm. Re revise and extend my remarks. So if you tick me off in the middle of a debate mm -hmm. and I say, will the pole cat from Fenton yield the floor, I can change that to my distinguished colleague from Fenton. Uh, well, you see, he it's, it's a friendly nickname we have between each other. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so That explains a lot, actually, now that you mention that. So that's all it is, is yeah. if you call somebody something inappropriate or say something, you can change it for the official record. Yeah. And they all allow themselves to do that. So I have to revise and extend my remarks on the podcast, not because I'm going to call you two guys' names. <laughs> but I kept saying... Yeah, just wait till he turns this podcast off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would never do that in the studio. I'll wait till we turn this off. But... I've always said, oh yeah, I started watching wrestling in 78 and 79. Mm -hmm. I actually may not have actually started watching wrestling until very late 79 and early 1980. And the reason I say that is because when I started watching wrestling, my favorite wrestlers were the Von Erichs, mm -hmm. uh, David and Kevin wrestled up here. Yeah. Kerry really wasn't in St. Louis when I started watching. He would come a few years later. Yeah. And Ted DiBiase. Mm -hmm. who was the Missouri heavyweight champion. And he traded that title. Uh, he didn't trade it. He won it from Patera, lost it to Briscoe, and Patera beat Briscoe for it. Because right. I don't think Sam wanted mm -hmm. Patera to beat DiBiase. But Patera was the nemesis. He was, you know, always trying to beat DiBiase for the Missouri title. Mm -hmm. So for me, he was the biggest heel when I first started pro wrestling, which now may be in, in the early 80s. Okay. Late 79, early 1980. I know I went to my first live show in 19, January 1980 because I broke my tooth that day and I mm. can't hardly remember any of it except 
Andre was in town, and it was Andre the Giant and Dick the Bruiser versus King Kong Brody, and who was also known as Bruiser Brody. Mm-hmm. He was the one that wrestled Patera in the matches we're going to review this yeah. week. Mm. And um, his partner was Dick Murdoch, and that was a match where Andre, now they're working together to do this, Andre grabbed Brody by the hair, and then Brody grabbed Andre's hand, and Andre lifted Brody up off the ground where his feet were moving underneath him by yeah. the hair. Now, Brody's helping him by holding his hands yeah. to his head, so that's helping Andre well, lift him Brody up. Brody about 6'4", six, 6'5"? Six, 280. Yeah. So that's still one heck of a... You're basically doing a front lateral with a human being. That's how yeah. strong yeah. Andre was. But, so, because uh, Patera was the first heel I really disliked, and I actually uh, went back and looked at some of the old SummerSlams when the new SummerSlam was coming up, you know, they were never really that great because they started in 88. Well, that one at 88, that was probably the uh, best one they ever had. Yeah. And That's when you had the, the mega powers. And yeah, the main event was yeah. good. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, they had a match between uh, Ken Patera and Bad News Brown, Alan mm-hmm. Coage, who was the 1976 Olympic representative in judo for the United States, mm. and Patera was the 1972 Olympic rep- representative in weightlifting. Patera was the first person to press 500 pounds over his head. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I said, well, let's go back and look at a match when he was in his prime, though. So we went back, and I was going to pull the St. Louis one that you'd already seen between mm-hmm. him and Kerry Von Eric, but I liked the one where he wrestled Brody in Houston, Texas better, and it was shorter. Mm-hmm. So the first match, he wrestles Brody and Houston, and it was kind of what you'd expect. It was a wild brawl, um, Patera using some power moves, Mm -hmm. and then we contrasted that with Patera versus Bad News Brown, Alan Coage, from SummerSlam uh, 1988. Before we share our thoughts on it, first of all, Patera got a late start in wrestling. Mm Mm-hmm. He was 30 years old when he started because he started after the 72 Olympic appearance in weightlifting. Mm-hmm. And he was in that first, well, it wasn't the first class, but he was in the class at Vern's training camp with Ric Flair and a few others. And he was built like a weightlifter when he first got into uh, wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um, he was probably maybe 290, 300 pounds, big, thick legs, kind of a fat upper body, not fat, but... A mixture of fat and muscle, mm-hmm. and no real definition. A sturdy. Yeah, no real definition. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, closer to what he looked like in 88 than mm-hmm. what he looked like in 81. Mm-hmm. But he dieted down over the years and got cut, and more sculpted. And it was odd to see good physiques in the late 70s, early 80s. Mm-hmm. By the mid-80s, it was becoming a body sport. But you saw a lot of bad bodies in wrestling in the 70s, 60s, you know. Crusher Blackwell. Yeah, a lot of... One-man gang. Yeah. Um, and even just some of the regular wrestlers, Bulldog Bob Brown. Oh, well, yeah. Let's, let's name a good one. Um, Dick Murdoch. Dick oh, yeah. Murdoch did not... Dick Murdoch was a very good wrestler, but Dick mm. Murdoch did not have a body. Like Dusty mm. Rhodes. Yeah, Dusty. One uh-huh. of the biggest baby face in wrestling. No yeah. body. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's 39 in that match with Brody. Mm-hmm. He's 46 and just spent two years in prison in that match in 88. So yeah. there's a big difference. In, and when he's in prison, obviously the food's not good. Um, he has no access to the steroids and other stuff I'm sure he was using mm-hmm. in his prime. So that, to me, accounts for the difference in his body. But what did you guys think looking at that? Uh, I think it just definitely shows, like... Obviously, prison took a toll on him. Yeah. Uh, you know, in the first one, had you know strong muscles. He's doing it, and uh, in the second match that you showed me, whenever he did like the crowd, you could see like the muscle kind of flab. You could mm-hmm. see he's kind of taking some hits physically. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and um, I don't know what you thought, Dan, but one thing I noticed, mm-hmm. he really slowed up between 81 oh, and 88. Yes, he was not able to move like he was moving mm-hmm. in 81. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He, he he wasn't stuck in mud. He could still move credibly, but he was just so much slower. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, I was uh, well. For, for first of all, was you know back in '81, uh, Kim Patera had almost as good as physique as me, and <laughs> his uh, blonde hair was almost as good as mine. So, uh, but anyway, we're getting, getting away from that. Uh, it was a good match. It was fast paced. Um, it was more. I was expecting a brawl. And that's what I got. There was very few uh, technical moves right. being used. It was a lot of punching, slamming, uh, kicking. Uh, but Patera put on a good match. Yeah, and, and Brody was more of a brawler. Mm -hmm. And Patera was a brawler slash power move guy. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, neither one of them were the Matt wrestlers that a Flair was. Or, right. That's not the type of match you would have. Patera mm -hmm. would do more mat wrestling if he was in there with a Ted DiBiase or somebody like that. Right, yeah. But he was still a more of a power move guy. I would have loved to have a physique like Patera had. Oh, in, mm -hmm. you know, in eighty yeah. one. Mm -hmm. And then in the eighty eight match, um, I was never a big Bad News Brown fan. I, I didn't like the guy. Um, one of the few villains I did not like. So I was rooting for Patera, but I could also see that Patera, like you said, he was moving slower. Uh, he had the, the upper arm waggle. Uh, but well, once again, like you said, he's just coming off of a two-year stint at a, you know, I don't know if it was maximum security. but it, uh, I, it was, Well, he was in prison. I don't know yeah. that it was maximum. They could have put him in medium or even yeah. minimum. I doubt he was much of a threat. Yeah. But, you know, but like you said, your food is subpar. It, yes. it, 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 I mean, you know, probably very low caloric intake there. Yeah. Uh, and like you said, he had no... Uh, no uh, avenue for the uh, anabolic steroids, right. and I mean the only thing he could have done is maybe worked out with the right. The he he had access to weights, but yeah. that's all. He right. had crappy subpar food. Mm -hmm. uh, no access to any pharmaceuticals he may have been using at the time. Yeah, but like I said, you know, watching that though, and he's just you're getting older. Yeah, he was getting older, and he didn't have the fabulous blonde hair that some of us have right now. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, he was. Uh, what was he, 49, I believe? No, no, 46. 46 in this match. And, and the brown hair just didn't work. He should have died. Right. After the <laughs> but uh, he just didn't look like the Ken Patera that I had right. remembered seeing. He looked like the shell of Ken Patera. Exactly, exactly. Um, did I enjoy both matches? Yeah, they were good to watch. I mean, they were watched. They were entertaining. I'll tell you what, for so. 1980s, WF, I like Bad News Brown, so that's where mm. we disagree. Um, we don't disagree on many things, mm -hmm. but uh, I knew about his judo background, and I love that. Uh, he called it the stereo kick, but it's that insiguri they talk about now. Yeah, mm -hmm. he was one of the first people I seen use it, and I really liked it um, because we didn't get Japanese wrestling in the eighties. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that was that was. And he he was in Japan a lot, but we didn't get it. So, mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I thought that the the matches were both decent for what they were. It was supposed to be an inconclusive brawl, but Patera got disqualified in the Houston match. Mm -hmm. And uh, Bad News Brown was supposed to go over in the, the match, and Patera was putting a lot of people over at that time. I mean, yeah. well, he, he, he was, was a 46-year-old guy. He was a jobber now. Right. Basically. Vince was not going. Vince brought him back, let him earn some money mm -hmm. after he got out. And, uh, and I tell you, Patera had one of the best I'm going to recommend Patera's interview from Shut Up and Wrestle. It's a podcast with Brian Solomon. Mm -hmm. I've, I've, I'd, I'd heard Patera's interviews in the past, and mm. he was kind of bitter and angry and stuff. He's kind of mellowed out in the last few years, and he gives some of really good interviews because he was around for a lot of the stuff that went on in the 80s and the expansion and all of mm -hmm. that. And he's got his own unique perspectives on what went on. And it was a joy listening to that podcast. But he wasn't the angry, bitter, you know, I hate everybody, everybody mm -hmm. sucks. Um, he was kind of bitter in the early 2000s. At mm -hmm. least the podcasts, I heard, they weren't podcasts and they were interviews. There were no podcasts when he was doing these. Yeah. And some of the people that asked the questions and some of these things are really annoying. Mm. So they could have thoroughly honked him off before mm -hmm. he ever got on there and started talking. Yeah. So you, you hate to judge somebody by based on seeing that because you also don't know what they cut out and what they put in. Mm. That interview could have gone a half hour before that, and then they once they really got him ticked, then yeah. they, yeah. They, they keep that and they yeah. get rid of the other stuff. Just so. like just like how they uh, were um, 
making it look like Jey Uso went to the AEW. Had yeah, me, had me fooled. Deepfakes, <laughs> oh, yeah. the deepfakes. Because when he said that, I'm like, we got to check that out. That happened. We have to go. But I, I know Vince has lost his mind. I don't think he's lost his mind that bad. Yeah. And besides that, he's got that career-ending back injury now that he's under federal indictment. So oh, yeah. Triple H is back in charge, and yeah. I don't see Triple H letting that happen on his watch either. Just out of uh, curiosity, and I know this hasn't been scripted, and I'm sorry I should have bring this by you before. We're wingers from way back. Let's wing it. What? What? <laughs> In professional wrestling now, and wrestling in the past, what would you bring from the past back to today to make wrestling better? I would slow it down and register stuff. Okay. Because what takes me out of most of the modern wrestling, and WWE, everybody likes to pick on AEW for the indie mindset, Mm -hmm. and they do have it, but there are also people in AEW know what they're doing too. Oh, yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. But it started it, and let's put the blame where the blame belongs. Mm-hmm. It does not hold up today if you go back and watch it. This all started with ECW. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. All the spots and the near falls and da 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 da, da mm-hmm. moving at 100 miles an hour, that all started with the crash wrestling of ECW. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you watch that today, with very few exceptions, maybe an RVD or a Lance Storm, most of those matches do not hold up. Because they don't make any sense. They right. move at a thousand miles an hour. Mm-hmm. You know, why do people who are just in a wrestling match bring weapons down to the ring and try to kill each other? Right. What What provoked all? Of this? I never could figure why they kept kendo sticks underneath the, exactly. the ring. <laughs> you know what provoked all of this? <laughs> yeah, that's what doesn't make sense. If you go back and you watch Mid South, mm-hmm. why the people disliked each other? So why the wrestlers disliked each other? Mm-hmm made sense. Mm-hmm. There were personal grudges. Um, even WWF hadn't lost a plot on this in the 80s. And let me give you an example from primetime wrestling that I saw the other day. Okay. And the reason it worked was all the fans knew it, but they just liked seeing Bobby and them get shafted. Mm-hmm. But you also, you also had to admit Bobby had a point and Bobby had a reason to be mad. Yeah. So in storyline... In early 1986, Bobby the Brain Heenan gets Andre the Giant suspended for something he did in a match, I think, with John Studd, because that's who he was feuding with at the Mm -hmm. time. But he gets Andre suspended. Maybe Andre hit a referee. I can't remember what it was, but Andre was suspended. Well, they start running these vignettes from Japan about these two big Japanese wrestlers, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Giant Machine, which is obviously Andre the Giant in a mask. Yeah. And Super Machine, which is a mass superstar, Bill Eady, who would later become Axe on Demolition. Mm-hmm. It's obviously him in a mask as well. Yeah. And they're talking. Bill Eady's talking in perfect English. Andre the Giant is talking in his French-affected uh, English. So he has a mm-hmm. French accent. He's speaking English. And they're talking about the places they were educated in Japan, and that's why they speak such good English and everything. Yeah. And Bobby is like, that is Andre the Giant. Monsoon, you know that's Andre the Giant. And Monsoon's like, I don't know, Bobby. I haven't seen him without his mask on. <laughs> he goes, you are a liar. So they go on to TNT, which is this horrible talk show that they mm-hmm. did for a while. But Bobby is going to introduce his great new Korean wrestler, Kimchi. <laughs> Well, here comes Big John Studd, who's this six foot ten blonde-haired yeah. guy with a white mask on, <laughs> the, the Big John Studd gold chain around his neck, and he sits down. He goes, "How you doing? How you doing?" And he goes, "And your name is?" He goes, "My name is Bobby. What's my name? <laughs> kimchi. Yeah, Kimchi. And I am from Korea. <laughs> you know." <laughs> so after everybody's laughing, and everybody knows this Big John Studd. Yeah. Bobby's like, you can take it off now. And he takes it off, and he says, this is John Studd. You all knew it was John Studd from the minute he walked out here. And everybody knows that Giant Machine is Andre the Giant. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so why that makes so much sense is so Bobby's got a real gripe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Andre's supposed to be suspended. He put a mask on and said he's the Giant Machine. Nobody else looks like Andre. Everybody knows this is Andre the Giant. Yeah. But they're not doing anything about it. The WWF president, Jack Tunney, is not doing anything about it, even though he suspended him. So Bobby has a gripe. Hmm. But all the fans love it because 
the Giants getting one over on Bobby. Yeah. So it works, but it also makes sense. When the heels get up and gripe and complain, they sh- there should be 10% legitimacy to what they're saying mm-hmm. and 90% bull. Yeah. yeah. That's what a heel does. They take a little bit of truth. Mm-hmm. What's all, what, what do con men do? What do uh, mm-hmm. creeps? I don't want to get into politics, so I'll drop one of the ones <laughs> I do. But, but what do people do? They take something that's 10% true. Mm-hmm. And then they expound on it, mm-hmm. and the rest is bull. But there's that ten percent truth in there that they can always rely on, and people have to acknowledge. Well, that what that what they're saying there is true. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what a good heel does. The baby faces do not do that. No, yeah. <laughs> the baby faces don't lie. The, the heels are the one that bring you the money, and that's one of the reasons you have the issues today. There's no baby faces. There's no heels. Mm-hmm. Roman Reigns is a baby face. They are booing him out of the arena because mm-hmm. he's like this hey you know let me kiss the babies let me hold people the only guy that I see that could pull that off today is Cody yeah mm-hmm. uh, and I still am not into the camp yet of he should be the one to beat Roman Reigns but I buy him now more as an underneath baby face than I ever did I, I think Cody now not so much dethroning Roman Reigns but whenever Roman Reigns gets dethroned whoever it is that dethrones him I think Cody have a match against him and win the title, I think Cody would make an excellent champion. He would make an outstanding babyface champion. Yes. Mm-hmm. Roman Reigns are booing him out of the building. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He becomes the tribal chief. People cheer him on. I was sitting there watching SmackDown one night, and Riddle gets on my last nerves. Oh, jeez. I liked him when he was in NXT, but this uh, burnout character they got him playing on Raw drives like, me crazy. RVD hey, dude, he's like my best friend, man. Yeah. Um, it's like uh, the Valley Girls uh, met uh, Cheech and Chong. It's <laughs> annoying as all get out. So um, they had Riddle and McIntyre and Orton come out mm-hmm. and do this horrible skit before one of the pay-per-views where they were, those three guys were going to take on the Usos and Roman Reigns. Worse than and then, guys? I don't know that anything that's ever been filmed in wrestling <laughs> is worse than Fuji Vice. No. Maybe we'll review that one day. Yeah. Sure. You'll know why people quit being wrestling fans. <laughs> I mean, plan, think, think of Plan 9 from Outer Space mm. if they held it in a wrestling studio. I see. Oh, oh well. Yes. <laughs> well, we're obvi- obviously it was a drug dealer gone bad because this is what right. drug dealers do when things go bad. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that was the dialogue. <laughs> oh, there was nothing worse than Fuji Vice, but this skit was pretty bad. Okay. So all of a sudden, Roman's music hits, and the entire place blows up. Mm. And I'm like, oh, thank goodness the tribal chief's putting an end to this crap. Yeah. yeah, and your mom's like, "Oh, you like Roman Reigns? I didn't know you liked Roman Reigns." I'm like, "I like him when he's putting an end to this crap." But no, yeah. ever since he's become the tribal chief, I liked him. And Jay Uso has been one of my favorites ever since he became main event. Jay Uso. But I only started watching wrestling again because I'm writing about historical wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um, I was I quit watching wrestling 2007, somewhere around there. You know, I started watching MMA really heavily mm-hmm. again in 2005. Somewhere around there, I quit watching because I've told you the Katie Vick thing happened in 2002, 2003. I was pretty much done. Yeah. Mm. After that, and I did not watch any wrestling at all again until 2016 when somebody at work recommended they say, "Hey, you like territory wrestling? Watch NXT. You'll like it." And I did. Mm-hmm. It was a good show. But when Vince took that away from Triple H, it went down the toilet like all of his other stuff. Vince has done more to run off wrestling fans than anybody else has in yes, the last he 20 has. years. Yeah. Um, he had the only wrestling company, but he, he's embarrassed to be a pro wrestling promoter. So he's a sports entertainer, which nobody knows what that is. Yeah. I've never ever in my life heard somebody say, hey, we're going to sports entertainment tonight, because people don't do that. Yeah. Just like when they get... Uh, chop a couple fingers off with a saw. They don't go, take me to the nearest medical facility. They say, give me to the freaking hospital. Right. (laughs) Medical facility. I think that's... that's And UFC now, they're saying title opportunity. I'm Uh, like, damn you, Vince. (laughs) 
these, it was like an indie job these, board. These yeah. Vince-isms that have gotten into the general uh, vocabulary is just mm. horrifying. But to me, that's what's missing. And I don't look at back at things with rose-colored glasses. You and I were talking. You look back at the territorial stuff in the 80s. Some of the 80s territories were already dying or dead. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, Detroit was dead. L.A. died. I think L.A. died when Jules Strongbow died. They're yeah. Not the guy that was Jay Strongbow's partner in. Yeah. Uh, Chief Jay Strongbow's partner in it. The original Jules Strongbow, who was the longtime matchmaker in L.A., yeah, he got sick in the early 70s and died, and within a couple years, that promotion was done. Yeah. I mean, Portland, uh, Stampede, yeah, uh, the uh, Polynesian wrestling, yeah, all of those things. Yeah, they were died, dying they to died. death already. Yeah, uh, Bruiser's promotion was dying to death because uh-huh. you had too many old guys on top for too long and never developed right. young stars. Mm-hmm. Uh, that might have happened to world class, except. Uh, Fritz had all those kids, and they were bigger than the football team. Well, yeah, so, exactly. Know. Caleb? Yes. I know you haven't been a wrestling fan for long, but is there anything... I don't think he's a wrestling fan now. <laughs> <laughs> or do you see anything Look. back in these matches now that could have, that they, from the past... That might have made you a fan. Yeah. So, I feel like, and we've talked about this before, when Vince decided to just take the mask off, you know... That's eh, all fake. Don't don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. That lost a lot of it because the effort they put into trying to hide it, mm-hmm. even just like the camera. We were watching the match the other day. They set up the camera so that you couldn't see that the kicks weren't connecting yeah. the way they were supposed to to actually hurt them. There was a lot more showmanship, and it really sold the experience live and on TV. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's lost a lot of that. Uh, from what they're I've seen not, in modern. They, they don't make any efforts to make it look legitimate. And that's no. my, exactly. my other big complaint. A lot of the wrestlers talk about their performance. And they don't. They want to talk about it like it's acting or, or making movies and films. Right. Okay, well if that's the case, then follow the rules of entertainment. They don't break the fourth wall. You exactly. know, uh-huh. when Ivor the Boneless yeah. is getting ready to kill a priest, he doesn't say, hold on for a second guys. Yeah, I know this is getting to be a pretty intense scene we're shooting right here, mm-hmm. but my name is really Alex, and this is my buddy Joe. Yeah, and we're really not killing him. Most of this is CGI and a little bit of acting. Yeah, yeah. so relax. It's not that bad. Okay, let's go back. To and then he puts an X in his <laughs> face. <Yeah. laughs> exactly. If if they did that, nobody'd ever watch the show. Nobody right. would ever watch any show. So yeah. if you say that we are entertainment then be entertainment. Try to fool somebody. Mm-hmm. You know, the Viking show, they're trying to make people think they're really killing people. Yeah. Um, when you see a fist fight in a TV show, yeah. you know, it's not this... <laughs> they're trying to make people think that they're actually making contact and hurting people. Right. Mm-hmm. When they're not. But it looks like that that's what they're doing. And the other one, one thing I will have to say... Most people would have figured out the work nature of pro. Well, most people did. We yeah. we well, knew. Well, yeah. We just suspended belief and didn't want to know all the time. Right. Exactly. We my my favorite believe. moment of all time. So, when your uncle Danny and I were in high school, mm-hmm. either we would be at each other's house watching prime time and some of the other wrestling, or we'd call each other if we saw something. Yeah. And to this day, I will remember, and I'll, I'll clean it up. I won't say it the way I said it when I called him. But we were watching the Rougeau brothers in 86. Oh, mm-hmm. and horrible tag team ever. Yeah. And they were fan favorites at the time. They eventually became heels, and they were much better heels than they were baby mm-hmm. faces. But we didn't mm-hmm. like them when they were either. But their finishing maneuver was Raymond would pick the guy up, mm-hmm. and Jock would jump off the top rope, crotch first, right into the guy's face and come down and sit on his chest. Yeah. That was their finishing move. And the first time I saw that, I called your Uncle Danny. I'm like, did he just jump crotch first into that guy's face? Yeah. And Dan's like, I believe he did. <laughs> because I'm like... Got a fleur de lis right in the face. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because <laughs> yeah, they were from Quebec. Yeah. Oh, well, they were from Montreal, which is in the province of Quebec. Quebec yeah. But I told Danny, I said... The first time you've seen that, the next time, all you would have to do is go, 
Right. <laughs> and that would have been the end of that finishing maneuver. Yeah. But no, these poor guys all had to stand up there, and if they were going over some of the bigger stars, like the Hart Foundation, they're going to have to stand there while this guy jumps at them crotch first, and they sit there like idiots. Yeah. And the guy lands butt first on their chest. So I said, I hope the Rougeau's had some uh, not good hygiene uh, yeah. know, programs. It's oh, yeah. <laughs> so it wasn't all great, it wasn't all plausible. And when MMA became popular in the early 90s, they would not have been able to keep the facade up anymore. When people had saw what real combat looks like, mm-hmm. they would not have been able. Because you had amateur wrestling. It didn't look anything like amateur wrestling. But if you looked at it back in the 60s and 70s, you would see a little bit of amateur wrestling in there with some pro uh, submission holds. Well, then a little bit of you know forearm strikes and stuff like that. The Londis uh, Sheikit match that we watched. Yeah, it would look like a wrestling match. Yeah. And it evolved over the years. So things look different because they evolved. If they had gone from Londis and Sheikit to some of these aerial shows that we see today... The Hardys and the yeah, nobody would have watched it. Christian, yeah. Yeah, nobody watched it. They would have just went, oh, this is all fake. Yeah. yeah. So you, we can never recapture professional wrestling the way it was when I liked it or mm-hmm. when it was at its zenith in the 50s and I, or the 30s. You're not going to be able to recreate because the world is so completely different. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to... want to see these people trying to kill themselves. Between YouTube yeah. and Peacock, you could probably watch everything that still exists about wrestling mm-hmm. on film between those two things. Yeah. That did not exist when we were fans. You got St. Louis Wrestling, and mm-hmm. that was it. If you were lucky and you went down to the country where they had cable already, you got to see Georgia. Mm-hmm. Or you got to see their wrestling, which was out of Paducah, Kentucky. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But unless you went to a relative's house somewhere else, you never saw anybody else's wrestling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then when the VCRs became popular, you had the tape traders. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they would then you would start to see stuff from well, and then Vince goes national, mm-hmm. and Crockett goes national, and it's a completely different landscape. Mm-hmm. But we'll never be able to go back and recreate, and and I don't necessarily think you need to do that. But the reason pro wrestling is watched by such a small audience, so on average, WWE on Fox, I think that's their biggest uh, show. They might get three million fans. Raw probably gets between a million and a half and two. NXT um, usually gets between uh, five and seven, except when Dominic and Rhea are on there and they get up in the 800s. Mm-hmm. Um, for AEW, when CM Punk's involved, they can get over a million. With the regulars, they, they'll get between 600 and 700,000. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when you had the territories, you had millions of people. Mm-hmm. A lot more than three million going to the wrestling matches and watching on TV. And St. Louis wrestling at the Chase, I would say, was watched by a significant portion of the population. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The local wrestling show was normally one of the most popular shows. In fact, when I was a kid, I think the Three Stooges and Wrestling at the Chase were the two most popular shows. Of course, that might tell you a little bit about our mindset here in St. Louis. Too, but, <laughs> yeah. I think those were the two biggest shows. Well, I think mm-hmm. St. Louis is traditionally a wrestling town, though. It was. So, yeah. Starting back in 22 with Nick Contos and then, mm-hmm. or is it John Contos? It's one of the Contos. Yeah. Because his nephew was Tom Pax, who, when he left to manage Koloff, took over from him in 24. Mm-hmm. And then Sam came in in the late 40s. Yeah, I tell you, Sam Muchnick, you couldn't have asked for a better promoter. Nope. Or, or territory owner than that. And that's what I grew up on. And mm-hmm. the people that bought... The, ter- the territory from when he retired mm-hmm. ruined it in about six months. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, yeah. I think that's about it for this episode. I think we've cussed and discussed all the world's problems as I think so, best yeah. we can. So, as I said, on the next episode, we're going to look at Ed Strangler Lewis's schedule for 1912. And I apologize because it might be, I might just go. In January, he was, he was here, 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 here. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that sounds like the faster way to do it. Um, so, and if you want the show notes for today's show, which will have links to any of the videos we reviewed, except for SummerSlam, you'll have to get that on Peacock. Yeah. You'll go to kenzermanjr.com slash episode 31. And you can also see what I'm working on. There's a list of books up there as well. 
And I'd also be grateful if you could rate this podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen. And then uh, come back next time and we'll continue this uh, discussion about schedules and probably gas and talk about a bunch of other stuff we didn't plan. Dan and I are wingers from way back. and Oh, we are. Caleb could toss it around with the best of them. Mm-hmm. I try. <laughs> so for Dangerous Dan and Caleb the Crippler. So you got a nickname. You didn't even know it. I know. <laughs> I came in. I go, I got a title. <laughs> See you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.